Alabama moves to ban abortion. AOC declares war on Joe Biden and Elizabeth Warren declares war on Fox News. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. Okay, we are going to get to all of the myth-making surrounding abortion law today. We are going to get to the impact of the Alabama law that is likely going to be signed into law by Governor Kay Ivey today. But first, in 1966, Alan Greenspan famously said, quote, deficit spending is simply a scheme for the confiscation of wealth. That is obviously true. With the federal deficit currently touching a trillion dollars every year, what are you doing to protect your savings from this confiscation scheme? Greenspan offered one solution. He said gold stands in the way of this insidious process. Could you afford another hit to your retirement like the last downturn when the S&P dropped 50%? Hedge against inflation, hedge against uncertainty and instability by diversifying at least a little bit with precious metals. Gold is a safe haven against uncertainty. My savings plan is diversified and yours should be as well. The company I trust with precious metal purchases is Birch Gold Group. And right now, thanks to a little-known IRS tax law, you can even move that IRA or eligible 401k into an IRA backed by physical gold and silver, which is perfect for people who would like to protect their hard-earned retirement savings from future geopolitical uncertainty. Look back historically, when the bottom falls out of everything else, gold does tend to safeguard savings because it has never been worth zero. Birch Gold Group has thousands of satisfied customers, countless five-star reviews, and A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau. Contact Birch Gold Group and get a free information kit on physical precious metals. Right now, they've got this comprehensive 16-page kit showing how gold and silver can protect your savings. Go check them out right now by texting BEN to 474747. Again, text my name, BEN, to 474747. That's BEN to 474747. Okay, so the big controversy of the day obviously surrounds the passage of this Alabama law. So Alabama has now moved to pass a law that effectively bans abortion in the state. Unlike the law in Georgia that is a heartbeat bill and says that for the first six weeks of pregnancy, you can get an abortion effectively on demand and then beyond six weeks, you cannot, and then it punishes abortion doctors. The Alabama law goes even further. The Alabama law goes right to the heart of the matter and says that the unborn are human lives. It says that they have the status of persons under Alabama law. And this challenges directly Roe versus Wade. Roe versus Wade says, no, these are not persons. Instead, these are basically developing some things. And that means that based on viability standards, you can kill a baby or you can't kill a baby based on viability standards or states can pass laws that prevent the killing of the unborn, depending on viability. And the, the standard is incredibly murky under Roe versus Wade. And then it gets even murkier under Planned Parenthood versus Casey, which is a, a case from the late 1980s, early 1990s, as it moved its way up through the courts, in which the court basically ruled to limit Roe versus Wade, but Wade and said that you can't pass a law that creates an undue burden on a woman seeking an abortion. The undue burden standard has always been quite vague. And my forecast has been that the Supreme Court, with the new Republican-appointed majority, would start paring back at Planned Parenthood versus Casey, but would not overturn Roe v. Wade. It would leave in place the idea that a woman has a quote-unquote right to an abortion, but it would pare back at the length to which that right extends. I think that is still the likeliest path for the Supreme Court. Alabama is challenging it outright, however. They've passed a law now that says abortion is banned in our state and abortion doctors can go to jail anywhere from 10 years to 99 years and life begins at conception. It's a full pro-life bill. Now, a lot of people on the right are uncomfortable with the, pro, the, the full pro-life bill. Many of them are uncomfortable, mainly, I think, because of the optics. So the bill does not have an exception for rape and incest, which makes logical sense. I know that it doesn't make a lot of emotional sense for people. They're saying, well, you know, a woman gets raped and now she has the burden of carrying this child to term. You're right. It is a, a grave burden on the woman that she has to do this, which is why it's an act of heroism for any woman to carry that child to term. With that said, if you believe that a human life is a human life in the womb, the fact that a grave wrong was done to initiate the creation of that life does not mean that the life itself is of no value. 
There's a logical distinction between the evil that was done to create the life in the first place and the presence of the life now that the life is present. That's why I've always been in favor of an exception in case of serious danger to the mother, and that would include mental health. If a woman is going to go crazy and harm herself, for example, if, if a woman is going to, to be so depressed that she becomes suicidal, then abortion, in my view, becomes an option because now the, the mother's life is in danger and you stake her life against the life of the human life in her womb. Alabama, I think, by the way, does the right thing from a pro-life perspective when it comes to rape and incest. Concessions with regard to rape and incest have always been sort of a sop to public opinion rather than a principled stand about the value of human life. They also open the door to the argument, okay, well, if you are saying that a human life is not a human life if you don't want it to be a human life, then why wouldn't you extend that to cases other than rape and incest? It's also worthwhile noting that the left tends to point out arguments about rape and incest because those are the most emotionally resonant cases in which people who are generally pro-life would say, well, maybe an abortion should be on the table. That's why the left likes to pick on it. The reality is that rape and incest represent significantly less than 1% of all abortions in the United States. And so I've always said that if you are not looking to just challenge Roe v. Wade outright, if what you're looking to do is create a consensus around abortion, what you say to folks on the left is, listen, we'll leave rape and incest alone for the moment and let's agree on the stuff that we can agree on. Because what the left likes to do with the rape and incest exceptions is they like to say, okay, well, you know, since everyone agrees that rape and incest exceptions should exist, therefore all abortions should be legal. The logic should really be the other way around. Okay, so let's even say that, that rape and incest exceptions should exist. Does that mean that you're against all the other abortions or are you just using the outlier case in order to justify abortion in the vast majority of cases? In any case, the, the hard pro-life perspective, the, the obvious pro-life perspective here, when I say hard, I don't mean vicious or brutal. Hard, I just mean like the bare bones pro-life perspective says a human life in the womb is worth protecting no matter how that human life was initiated. In any case, according to the New York Times, the Alabama Senate approved a measure on Tuesday that would outlaw almost all abortions in the state, setting up a direct challenge to Roe versus Wade, the case that recognized a woman's constitutional right to end a pregnancy. Now, even the euphemistic way that, that the New York Times talks about this stuff is pretty amazing. The right to end a pregnancy. That, that's not ending a pregnancy, guys, right? That is an editorial choice that you are making. It is a right to an abortion, at the very least, a right to snuff out a human life in the womb, at the very most, right to end a pregnancy. Okay, if, if you have a miscarriage, that is your right to end a pregnancy right there. Also, you have a right to prevent a pregnancy by not getting pregnant in the first place. You can tell the way the New York Times likes to slant its stories from the very outset. The legislation bans abortions at every stage of pregnancy and criminalizes the procedure for doctors, right? Not for women. So all the lies about how women are going to go to jail. This is the handmaid's tale. If women seek an abortion, then we're going to throw them in prison. None of that is true. The legislation is specifically directed at abortion doctors because this has long been the pro-life position is that if you want to cut off abortion at the knees, you have to go after the people who are making money off the abortions. You have to go after the people who are professionally performing those abortions in the same way that a lot of people who are sort of libertarian on drugs, say that, that use of drugs should not be treated harshly by criminal law, but distribution of drugs is a different story. The same thing is true with regard to abortion. This does include an exception for cases when the mother's life is at serious risk, but not for cases of rape or incest. The House approved the measure last month and now moves to the desk of Governor Kay Ivey, a Republican. Now, it makes people very uncomfortable on the left that apparently all the people who are behind this bill were men. There are only four members of the Alabama Senate who are women, and they are all members of the Democratic Party, but they are neglecting the fact that the governor of Alabama is a woman, Kay Ivey, and she agrees with her Republican caucus. Although the governor has not publicly committed to signing the legislation, many Republican lawmakers expect her support. 
In an email on Tuesday night, a spokeswoman for the governor, Lori Davis-Johns, said Ivy would, quote, withhold comments until she has had a chance to thoroughly review the final version of the bill that has passed. Now, here's the reality. This bill is not going to go into effect, barring the Supreme Court overruling Roe v. Wade, which is not going to happen. I've been saying for a long time, Justice Kavanaugh is not going to vote for that. Justice Roberts is not going to vote for that. I have serious doubts whether the Supreme Court, as currently constituted, would vote to overturn Roe v. Wade. Should they vote to overturn Roe v. Wade? Of course. Roe v. Wade is a garbage case. There is no precedent in the Constitution for the idea that a public act, like the killing of a third party with the consultation of a doctor, constitutes a quote-unquote right to privacy, a right to privacy that is not expressed in the Constitution of the United States. You have a right against unreasonable search and seizure. That is not what this is. You have a variety of rights under the Bill of Rights. One of those rights is not a generalized quote-unquote right to privacy. And in fact, we constantly violate the quote-unquote right to privacy in a bevy of circumstances. We violate the right to privacy when it comes to, for example, prosecuting people for, for making death threats. You know, not, not death threats that are specifically directed at, at folks via email, but if you put something up on your public Facebook page or something, that is no less a, a non-private event than going to a doctor's office and ordering up an abortion. We don't declare a right to privacy on that. There's no right to privacy when it comes to purchasing a gun. It's not just a question of you and your gun dealer getting together and doing it, right? There's no generalized right to privacy in the Constitution. You can't show me it because it doesn't exist. The reason the right to privacy was created is because the Supreme Court had a left-leaning majority. This left-leaning majority decided that, that because of, quote-unquote, emanations and penumbras in the Constitution, a generalized right to privacy was created. That was in Griswold versus Connecticut, where the Supreme Court decided that a state could not restrict contraceptive sales to married couples. And then it was extended forward to abortion. So this is, this is all just made up stuff. Roe v. Wade is a very, very bad case. Even if you're an advocate of the right to abortion, there is nothing in Roe v. Wade that is legally reasoned. Roe v. Wade is a very poorly reasoned case. Even people who are honest on the left will acknowledge that it's a poorly reasoned case. Okay, with all of that said, will the Supreme Court overrule it? No, they don't have the stones to overrule Roe v. Wade. They're going to leave Roe v. Wade in, case, in place because they don't want the blowback of having overruled a very, very bad case. Instead, what they are likely to do, as I've said before, is they're likely to use the Planned Parenthood versus Casey undue burden standard, and they're likely to simply gradually allow states to move closer and closer to conception or to, or to place more conditions on a woman's ability to get an abortion based on, for example, more information. She has to get an ultrasound. She has to have a 24-hour waiting period, that kind of stuff. That's why this is really about the legal challenge, not about whether this is going to go into effect. It's very unlikely to go into effect. Opponents have vowed to challenge the measure in federal court if it becomes law. Even the legislation's supporters expect that a lower court will block the measure, but it was drafted with exactly that in mind. Correct. The band's architects, reflecting the rising confidence of abortion critics nationwide after the appointment of Brett Kavanaugh to the Supreme Court, hope the justices will use the case to reconsider the central holding in Roe and allow the Alabama measure to take effect. Eric Johnson, who founded the Alabama Pro-Life Coalition, he said until now there was no prospect of reversing Roe. He sees himself as a purist on the abortion issue. He said he did not support a spate of restrictive legislation that other states have enacted in recent months, including so-called fetal heartbeat bills. Given the current leanings of the Supreme Court, Johnston said, making such a measure which does not directly challenge Roe, the subject of the court's next major abortion case would be a wasted opportunity. He says, heartbeat bills don't challenge the fundamental conceit at the heart of Roe v. Wade, which is that these are not human lives. He says, why not go all the way and just challenge the central holding in Roe v. Wade, which is that these are not human lives? And let's overturn that thing. Well, it's not going to be overturned, but it is worthwhile at least clarifying where the court stands. We're going to get to more of this 
in just one second. First, it is 2019. Everyone needs a great pair of wireless earbuds, obviously. But before you go dropping hundreds of bucks on a pair, you need to check out wireless earbuds from Raycon. So I have a pair of Raycon earbuds. They are fantastic. They are supremely comfortable. I, I was given AirPods for my birthday by my wife. I use the Raycons instead because they are actually better and they start about half the price of any other premium wireless earbuds on the market. And they sound just as amazing. The company was actually co-founded by Ray J. Celebrities like Brandy and J.R. Smith are already using Raycons. Raycons E50 wireless earbuds have totally changed the game for me. They're so comfortable. They have a bunch of options. You can actually check out. They actually fit in your ear better. And they're really easy to take anywhere. Unlike some of the other wireless options, Raycon earbuds are both stylish and discreet. No dangling wires, no stems. And of course, they don't just look great. They also sound fantastic as well. Raycon offers their wireless earbuds for everyone. They have a range of colors at a great price. Go, buy, go to buyraycon.com slash Ben to get 20% off your order. That is buyraycon.com slash Ben. You get 20% off Raycon wireless earbuds. If you've been eyeing a pair, now is the time to get them. One more time, that's buyraycon, R-A-Y-C-O-N, buyraycon.com slash Ben. Go check them out right now. They're incredibly comfortable. They are cheaper than a lot of the other options that are on the market. They're cool looking. You're really going to enjoy them. If you like listening to the podcast on your, on your earbuds, the best way to get a wireless pair buyraycon.com slash Ben, and you're getting up to 20% off. That's a, that's a pretty solid deal, so go check them out right now. So again, that's buyraycon.com slash Ben. Can't speak too highly about these, these, ear, these ear pods. They, they really are spectacular. You're really, really going to... They make a great gift. They make a really good gift for anybody for birthday, anniversary. Go check them out right now. Buyraycon.com slash Ben. Okay, Senator Roger Smitherman, a Democrat, told his colleagues that during his wife's pregnancy with their son, doctors had told him it was unlikely the child would be born alive. Smitherman said that he and his wife had decided to have the child anyway, that his son had been born with significant health problems. The significance, he said, is that I had a choice. But that cuts against your argument. In other words, your son was born. Yes, he has significant health problems. It is good that he was born. The law is supposed to protect people with health problems. Democrats and abortion rights advocates then use the argument that the measure would drive the procedure underground endangering the lives of women and girls. Well, you know what endangers the lives of babies? Legal abortion. I love the argument that the only life that matters here is the life of the women or girls and, that, and, and quality of life of women and girls. You have another option, that is to bear the baby. There, there are many people who are willing to adopt. Now, it's hilarious. There are a bunch of people yesterday when I defended the pro-life position online. So I don't see you adopting any of these kids. That's true. I am not right now in the mode of it. Maybe sometime in the future, my wife and I will adopt. But I'm not adopting right now. I have two kids of my own. I also have a generalized rule. I am not in favor of being able to murder anyone I don't adopt. It's a pretty terrible argument. I, like In general, I'm not in, I'm not in favor of you being able to kill the homeless man down the street. I don't plan on adopting him and making him my legal ward. I don't think you should be able to stab him in the face. Pretty terrible argument. And many of the arguments on the pro-choice side are insanely terrible. Like really, really bad. And we'll get to a few more of those arguments in just a second. The Senate took up the bill again on Tuesday after an earlier attempt to debate the measure last week to send it into shouting and chaos. Tensions erupted, including some within the dominant Republican Party, over whether to include exceptions to the ban in cases of rape and incest. A Senate committee had amended the bill to include those exceptions, prompting a bitter dispute that, that postponed consideration of the bill for days. Now, the reason, again, if you're making a legal challenge, the reason that you don't include rape and incest is because that allows the Supreme Court to instead say that you yourself are not challenging the central holding of Roe v. Wade, which is that unborn human life is not, in fact, human life. Because they can say, okay, well, in cases of rape and incest, that's also a human life, but you're, allowed, you're, you're already allowing other considerations to take hold. So if the purpose is a legal challenge, you want the bill to be as strict as possible. 
Other state measures to restrict abortion rights have advanced in the South and Midwest this year, inviting legal fights. The governors of Georgia, Kentucky, Mississippi, and Ohio have signed fetal heartbeat bills. Arkansas moved up the cutoff point for legal abortions to 18 weeks of pregnancy from 20 weeks. By the way, it is insane that it is considered the quote-unquote reasonable position for legal abortions to remain up till 18 weeks of pregnancy. That's crazy. I mean, you are talking at that point, 18 weeks of pregnancy. You are talking about four and a half months of pregnancy. And abortion is still legal at that point. I mean, the fetus is so well-developed at that point. It's, I mean, fully functioning heart, fully functioning, fully functioning bloodstream. The brain is already in, the, in, in serious development stages. The Alabama measure goes further. In addition to the potential 99-year sentence for performing abortions, doctors face the threat of a 10-year term for attempting to perform one. Women who receive abortions would not be prosecuted. So do not believe the propaganda that is being put out there right now. Now, the, the, the problem with a lot of the pro-choice advocates, the problem for them, is that they continue to make arguments that are truly, truly morally egregious. So Jamila Jamil is an actress. Uh, you've seen her on The Good Place. And she apparently had an abortion. And here's what she tweeted out. I had an abortion when I was young. It was the best decision I have ever made. Well, you know it would have been a better decision is to not get pregnant in the first place. She said it was the best decision I've ever made, ever, in all her life. Her best decision was killing her own unborn child, both for me and for the baby I didn't want and wasn't ready for emotionally, psychologically, and financially. And so number one, she's acknowledging it is a baby. Number two, she is saying that it was best for the baby to die. Name me a circumstance in which it is best for you to die. Like, just let's just forget about everyone. Just you, generally. What's the circumstance in which it is best for you to die? So, you might be able to name some circumstances. Let's say that you are in egregious, horrific pain. And then you say that you want out of the pain. Maybe that's an argument. Let's say that you have a terminal disease. Maybe that's an argument. But let's say that you're a perfectly healthy human being, and you're, and you're, or you've been injured, and in, in a couple of months, you'll be a perfectly healthy human being. Is the best solution for you to die, is it best for you to die? Like, this is a pretty astonishing statement. I can promise you, it was not the best thing for the baby to die. And she says, so many children will end up in foster homes, so many lives ruined, so very cruel. I promise you that a child in a foster home would still prefer to live than simply be chopped apart in the womb. So many lives ruined. You know whose life was ruined? her baby who never got to live in the first place. It's a pretty astonishing statement. She says, she says, this isn't any diss at all to foster homes. I'm in awe of people who take in children in need of a family and a home. But if Georgia becomes inundated with children who are unwanted or unable to be cared for, it will be hard to find great fostering for them all. Oh, so she's worried about the public burden on foster homes. I see. That's obviously, that means we should kill everyone. In countries with lots of very, very poor people where there are lots of street urchins running around on the streets, the best thing to do probably is surround them up and kill them. Probably that's the best thing to do, according to Jamila Jamil. That's an amazing statement. But unfortunately, that sort of logic prevails when it comes to the left and, and abortion. The, the logic of the left on abortion is completely and, and thoroughly unsympathetic to the very idea that there is a life in the womb. That is biologically incorrect. There is a human life in the womb, obviously, and that life does begin at conception. There is no other definition of human life that makes any sort of logical sense. When people say human life begins with brain activity, okay, so if you have somebody who is in a coma, can you kill them? No. When they say human life begins at viability, well, then my kids aren't viable now. If I left my three-year-old alone for half a day, he would be dead because he is a crazy person because all three-year-olds are crazy people. Certainly, this is true of newborn babies who cannot support themselves, feed themselves, and are completely dependent on their parents to take care of them. 
and a lot of old people who are dependent on caretakers. When people say that the standard should be sentience, okay, well, when you are asleep, you are not sentient. Does this mean that we can kill you? Obviously not. When people say, well, that's different. A baby is not sentient as a state of being. Yes, for a temporary time, and then the baby is. When people try to make a distinction between, oh, well, it's an embryo or it's a fetus or whether it's a baby. Question, is it a human life or is it not? That is the only category that actually matters here. That is the only category that matters insofar as the quote-unquote choice to perform an abortion. Now, what people tend to do is they will pick hard cases. Now, the rule in, in law is what we used to, in law school, we used to describe it as hard cases make bad law. In other words, cases in which you are sympathetic to one side tend to make for bad general rules. And so what the left likes to do is pick hard cases. That's why they pick the rape and the incest cases. That's why they like to pick cases of, of Tay-Sachs babies. But hard cases make bad law. In other words, the general principle, which is that human life ought to be protected and that government has a role in protecting human life is obviously true. One of the things that, that I found hilarious yesterday is advocates of abortion who, as a counter argument to both the Georgia bill and the Alabama bill, were saying, well, now that you're declaring these, these fetuses human life, why don't you force men to pay child support during pregnancy? And the answer is, I'm with you, man. Do it. Absolutely. You knock up a lady you shouldn't be able to take off. You should have to pay for that because the fact is that you created that and you're responsible for all of that. So not only do I not have a problem with that, I'm on the side of that. Pro-life people have thought through the consequences of the, of the actions that they are taking. Pro-choice people, by and large, or at least the pro-choice position, by and large, has not actually thought through the consequences of its own positions. It has just settled for what is convenient in terms of what they think people should live like. So they think that abortion is good because it's convenient. They think that in order to facilitate that convenience, we should rule out of bounds all serious discussions about what constitutes human life. Or at the very least, what they do is they then demagogue the issue. They say things like, okay, well, let's say that you're in a room with a fertilized embryo and a five-year-old child and, and the room is on fire. Which one do you save? That's not the question. The question is, let's say that you're in a room with an embryo. Do you kill it? That is the question, right? It's not you have to choose between one life and another. We acknowledge that if the question is one life is in danger and that life happens to be fully born and one life is not, that's why the, even the Alabama law makes an exception for the life of the mother, obviously. But that does not obviate the question as to whether human life ought to be protected. Okay, so in a second, we're going to get to the 2020 race. But first, there are a lot of things in life that are not right. Carpet and showers, for example. Chunky style milk. Ejector seats on helicopters. None of those things are right. But thanks to Mint Mobile, you don't have to overpay for wireless anymore. With Mint Mobile, you can cut your wireless bill down to just 15 bucks a month. They've reimagined wireless, making it easy and online only, which means they can pass significant savings directly to you. Mint Mobile makes it easy to cut your wireless bill down to just 15 bucks a month. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan. You can keep your old number along with all your existing contacts. With Mint Mobile, choose between plans with 3, 8, 12 gigabytes of 4G LTE data. Stop paying for unlimited data that you'll never use. Every plan comes with unlimited nationwide talk and text. If you are not 100% satisfied, Mint Mobile has you covered with their seven-day money-back guarantee. Ditch your old wireless bill. Start saving with Mint Mobile to get that new wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month and get the plan shipped to your door for free. Go to mintmobile.com ben. That is mintmobile.com ben. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month. Get free shipping on your Mint Mobile plan at mintmobile.com ben. Go check it out. Right now, again, you're going to be saving tons of money. A lot of these phone companies are charging you exorbitant fees for supposedly unlimited data that you are never going to use. Instead, go to mintmobile.com slash Ben and cut your wireless bill all the way down to 15 bucks a month. And by the way, the coverage is fantastic. I mean, you're still going to get reception. 
because the reception is provided by companies that provide you your normal reception anyway. Go check out mintmobile.com slash Ben. That is mintmobile.com slash Ben. Go check it out right now. I want to talk for a second about Roe v. Wade and what the decision actually holds. So the decision itself has been ripped by many legal scholars, including John Hart Eli, who is no right winger, saying that the decision is, quote, not constitutional law and gives almost no sense of an obligation to try to be. John Hart Eli said, quote, what is frightening about Roe is that the super protected right is not inferable from the language of the Constitution. The framers thinking respecting the specific problem in issue, any general value derivable from the positions they included or the nation's governmental structure. Lawrence Tribe, who is about as left as it gets, said, quote, one of the most curious things about Roe is that behind its own verbal smokescreen, the substantive judgment on which it rests is nowhere to be found. Now, as I say, Planned Parenthood versus Casey is the court is the case the court is likely to rely upon when it comes down to it. And while it reaffirmed Roe's holding about viability, it abandoned Roe's trimester framework in favor of fetal viability more generally. So Roe was more specific about, about the standard. They said that third trimester abortions, you could theoretically have restrictions on, no, none in the second trimester, none in the first trimester. But Planned Parenthood versus Casey moved to fetal viability. The Roe decision defined viable as potentially able to live outside the mother's womb, albeit with artificial aid. Justices in Casey acknowledged viability could occur at 23 or 24 weeks, sometimes even earlier in light of medical advances. The opinion of the court is a joke. The opinion in Roe is just bad. And they just make it up. Harry Blackman wrote it. Of course, it, the, the Republicans have a wonderful record of appointing justices. Harry Blackman wrote, quote, this right of privacy, whether it be founded in the 14th Amendment's concept of personal liberty and restrictions upon state action, as we feel it is, or in the Ninth Amendment's reservation of rights to the people, is broad enough to encompass a woman's decision whether or not to terminate her pregnancy. That's an insane statement. Basically, this right that we're creating out of thin air, it could be in the 14th Amendment, could be in the Ninth Amendment, could be anywhere, man. I have no idea. But, you know, we're just going to declare it out there and say that it now covers abortion. The court, uh, the court basically spends no time establishing that a generalized right to privacy exists. The court said that having unwanted children, quote, may force upon the woman a distressful life and future. It's just a piece of leftist propaganda. The court didn't say that, that a right to abortion was absolute. It said that the, the other considerations would include protecting prenatal life. And then they get down to the crux of the matter. They say, we need not resolve the difficult question of when life begins. When those trained in the respective disciplines of medicine, philosophy, and theology are unable to arrive at any consensus, the judiciary, in this point of the development of man's knowledge, is not in a position to speculate as to the answer. Okay, that, of course, is absolute sheer nonsense. Virtually everyone in medicine, philosophy, and theology has declared that life begins at conception because it does. Biologically speaking, an independent human life begins at conception. There is no other point that you can declare that life begins. The court in Roe settled on three trimesters of pregnancy as the framework. They said that the court that there could be no restrictions on a woman's ability during the first trimester. After the first trimester, the court ruled that evidence of increasing risks to mother's health gave the state a compelling interest, and it could enact medical regulations so long as they were reasonable and narrowly tailored. And then at the beginning of the third trimester, they said that there could be effectively that, that there could effectively be prohibitions on abortion where necessary to protect mother's life or health. Uh, the, 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 and then you could have an abortion. That was, that was basically the way that that worked. And then Planned Parenthood versus Casey significantly sort of limited that. It's a, it's a bad ruling in and of itself, Planned Parenthood versus Casey. And they crafted, as I say, the undue burden standard for abortion restriction, restrictions. Under Roe, the state could not regulate abortions in the first trimester. Theoretically, under Planned Parenthood versus Casey, they could. So as I have said, 
the likely outcome of all of this is that the court broadens the standard under Planned Parenthood versus Casey, but does not overrule Roe v. Wade, even though Roe v. Wade, as I have said, is a garbage case that has virtually no support in the Constitution. When I say virtually no, I mean none. No support in the Constitution whatsoever. Sandra Day O'Connor wrote the opinion in Planned Parenthood versus Casey, and uh, it is not a good opinion. It is a very not good opinion. Nonetheless, it will continue to be the standard simply because the Supreme Court is a group of people who basically decide to make politics uh, make politics dominate the law. The law is less important than politics, and thus the court has continuously acted as a political body, not as a legal body, unfortunately, in violation of the prescriptions of the Federalist Papers in which Alexander Hamilton argued that if ever the court should simply be using its will as opposed to the interpretation of the law, it would lose its raison d'etre. There would be no reason for it to exist. Okay, meanwhile, the 2020 race is finally starting to get interesting, and it's getting interesting because of the inimitable AOC, man. She is really going after it. So AOC does not want Joe Biden. She represents the the quote-unquote justice Democrat wing of the party, the radical wing of the Democratic Party, the wing of the party that Nancy Pelosi has derided as having about three people, but she does get all the publicity. She's going after Joe Biden. She's apparently deciding between Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders right now. If she endorses Elizabeth Warren, that could in fact be a death knell for Bernie Sanders' lagging campaign. Yesterday, however, her chief focus was going after Joe Biden, who she certainly doesn't want as the nominee because he's quote unquote too moderate. Here she is slamming Biden over his supposed middle of the road stance with regard to climate change. I will be damned if the same politicians who refused to act then are going to try to come back today and say we need a middle of the, the middle of the road approach to save our lives. That is too much for me. We cannot. We cannot and we will not accept anything less than a solution to save ourselves. And that's exactly what this is. Okay, so that is a slap at Joe Biden. Joe Biden responded by saying, no, 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 no. She's not slapping at me. Everyone took it as a slap at Joe Biden because it basically was. I mean, Joe Biden himself was booed when he was mentioned as having supposedly said that he had a middle of the road stand on climate change. Now he says, I'm not middle of the road. Guys, guys, I'm far left. Like, just, just love me. Love me. I've never been in the middle road on the environment, and I tell her to check, uh, you know, uh, the uh, the uh, the statement that I made, and look at my record. She'll find that nobody has been more consistent about taking on the environment and a green revolution than I have. And so, look. Uh, anyway, but I so I I, I I can't. I don't think she's talking about it. Uh, <laughs> he doesn't think she was talking about him. Uh, yeah, Joe, she, she was talking about you. And if you think you're going to escape so easily, I mean, he sounds old there. He really does. And it's a problem for him because the new vibrant wave of youthful Democrats, they've got all the passion and all the, all the moves and they're hip and they can dance. They're, they're really not going to accept the John Lithgow figure that is Joe Biden when it comes to their, their full push for socialism. Okay, in a second, we're going to get to more from the 2020 race and the dilemma of Joe Biden. But first, folks, you need to make sure that you tune in tomorrow at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific for our latest episode of The Conversation. The execrable Michael Moles will be answering your questions live on air. So make them good. As always, Alicia will be there to keep Knowles in line. The episode will be free for everyone to watch on Facebook and YouTube. Only subscribers can ask the questions. So subscribe to get your questions answered by Michael Moles tomorrow at 4 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Pacific. Join the conversation. My first question, why do you have a job? I'm really hoping that Michael Moles answers that one properly and that if he does not, then we get rid of him. But... I suppose that you can ask him any question you choose. I just think it would be hilarious if every question you asked was that. So if it, I'm not saying you should. I'm just saying you totally should do that. Okay, also, 
you should come subscribe for a variety of reasons, right? Your subscribership helps us bring the show to you every day. It helps pay our staff. It helps make sure that we are insulated from the jackasses over places like Media Matters. Your subscribership makes sure that we can continue to bring you great content, even if social media giants decide to crack down on conservatives. That's what your subscribership does. We always appreciate it. It's $9.99 a month. And for that, you get all sorts of goodies, including two additional hours of me live on video every single day. We are working hard for your money. Also, you get the annual subscription for $99 a year. You get this, the leftist tears, hot or cold tumbler. Now notice, it does not say, I get a lot of questions about this particular vessel. It says leftist tears, not liberal tears, right? Liberals, you, you, you don't have to make liberals cry. They're nice people who just disagree with you on politics. Leftist tears, you know, people who actually want to restrict people from speaking, people whose idea is to, to block Andrew Clavin from speaking at a university by locking the doors, which is what happened last night at one of these universities. Those tears, we treasure and we hold them and we, we store them in this vessel. The leftist tears, hot or cold tumbler. Go check it out right now for $99 a year. You can get the leftist tears, hot or cold tumbler. It's cheaper than the monthly subscription. Anyway, also you get extra access to our Sunday special. It comes out on Saturday instead. You get extra questions behind the paywall. All sorts of goodies. I'm starting a new project today without the permission of, uh, or, or go ahead of my business partner. I'm just starting it because man, I'm, I'm a little bored, I'll be honest with you. This, this news cycle's a little slow. So I'm just gonna start something. And, I think it will be available mostly for subscribers. I'm not gonna tell you about it now. Suffice it to say, it should be kind of awesome. So go check us out right now. Subscribe, leave us a review over at YouTube or iTunes where our listenership is extraordinary. We are the second most listened to podcast in America by statistics last month. Let's make it number one this month. Go leave us a review, we always appreciate it. We're the largest, fastest growing conservative podcast and radio show in the nation. Alrighty, so Joe Biden, Again, he is trying to escape the ramifications of the fact that he is moderate enough to win a general election, but too moderate for the, the excited wing of his base. And that does make a difference, right? If your base is not super excited about you, if they are mostly motivated by how much they don't like the other guy, they better hate that guy with a rampant passion. And they, must, they, they better feel like it's an emergency. Like if the economy is good, and if things are generally okay in their lives, and they just don't really like Trump very much, I'm not sure that that is enough to get them over the hump. That means that you have to have one of two things, either broad public appeal or a very, very excited base. Right? Donald Trump barely got over the hump against a candidate that Republicans loathed, Hillary Clinton, because there was a segment of the base that was super excited about Donald Trump. Okay? I'm not sure who in the Democratic base is super excited about Joe Biden. They hope that he has broad appeal. The problem is that he may have to choose between the broad appeal and the very excited base. You know, the people who are going to go knock on doors, the people who are going to spend their days phone banking. Are those people going to do that for Joe Biden? It's a serious question. And AOC, Bernie Sanders, they're ripping on Joe Biden about this. Here is Bernie Sanders kind of subtweeting Joe Biden on climate change. When you're dealing with the future of the planet and making sure that our kids and our grandchildren have a healthy and habitable world in which to live, I don't know how you go too far. I mean, this is an existential threat, not just to the United States, but to the entire planet. We have a moral obligation to combat climate change to bring the entire world together. This is not an American issue. This is a global issue to bring the world together, to transform our energy system away from fossil fuel to energy efficiency and sustainable energies. And uh, to me, we don't have a choice. We don't have a choice. We have to not elect Joe Biden. It's the only way. So this is Bernie Sanders' pitch. And also it's Bernie Sanders who's pushing Medicare for all, a proposal so popular with the Democratic base that all of the fence sitters like Kamala Harris 
have come down in favor of it, at least when they're not against it. Joe Biden, however, has said that he does not support turning Medicare into a national health insurance program for everyone because, quote, the vast majority of people are satisfied with their own health care system today. He said he favors making a Medicare option available to all people in which you'd be able to keep your own insurance if you are satisfied. So he is in favor of a, quote unquote, public option. But the problem with the, quote unquote, public option is that if people are opting into Medicare and doctors are not taking Medicare, well, then you're not going to be getting very good care through Medicare. It's one of the reasons why people like Joe, uh, why, like people, people like Bernie Sanders, who are Medicare for all proponents, have said we need to eliminate private health insurance as an option because too many healthy people are going to be buying private health insurance. And that means that Medicare for all is going to be incredibly expensive. Basically, the only people who are going to get Medicare for all or, or Medicare for uh, a public option are going to be high-risk people. So the government absorbs the cost for all the high-risk people. The reimbursement rates are too low. Those people still can't get care from the doctors that they want. So we have to force everyone into one giant pool via Medicare for all. The question in health insurance is always risk pools. And the problem is that if you, if you bifurcate the risk pools into healthy people and non-healthy people, and the non-healthy people end up on the government dole, and the healthy people all end up getting private health insurance, then the government ends up footing an enormous, enormous burden in order to get those people health care in the first place. So that, that, that is why the, the Joe Biden plan has largely been opposed by Democrats. On the other hand, it's been opposed by Republicans, the public option, because there is the looming risk that public option quickly turns into Medicare for all, because the government can also subsidize at a rate that no one else can. So you could see a world where the government starts subsidizing Medicare for the, the public option, and everybody simply dumps their private health insurance. Employers start dumping private health insurance and tossing people onto the Medicare rolls, and private insurance industry dies, and then doctors are basically roped into de facto Medicare for all. So Joe Biden has picked the least popular option. The public option option is actually the least popular option. There's Medicare for all, hardcore Bernieites love that, and then there's private health insurance without a public option, and Republicans are generally in favor of that. And then there is the public option option, which is so unpopular that Barack Obama couldn't even get a public option through his own party. Right? He controlled the Senate and the House. He could not get a public option through his own party. That is Joe Biden's position because he's quote-unquote moderate. Now, the way he's trying to make up for the fact that he is quote-unquote moderate is by suggesting, and by the way, his moderation, before I get to that, his moderation extends to his prior record. So he was confronted about his crime bill yesterday. Now, he's been trying to make amends for his 1994 support for the crime bill. I don't think you should have to make amends for a crime bill that helped lower the crime rate dramatically. And when people say, well, it led to mass incarceration, right, it locked up more criminals. You're gonna have to show me all the innocent people who went to jail because of the 1994 crime bill. When people say that it was racially biased, the 94 crime bill, you're gonna have to show me how. You can't just show me the disproportionate number of minorities in prison. You're going to have to show me that they were wrongfully arrested, wrongfully prosecuted, and wrongfully convicted. He has nothing to apologize for, in my view, the 1994 crime bill. And he's been trying to apologize for it nonetheless. He has to apologize because the woke base has suggested that the 94 crime bill was a great evil, even though in 1994, crime rates in the United States were out of control. Inner city politicians were supporting the crime bill. Joe Biden says that, but that ain't going to be popular with a vast majority of his own base. So I'm curious how you're going to um, really repair a lot of the black and brown communities that have been ravaged by the war on drugs and mass incarceration. Folks, let's get something straight. 92 out of every 100 prisoners in a behind the bars are in a state prison, not a federal prison. This idea that the crime bill generated mass incarceration, it did not generate mass incarceration. 
What happened is the mass incarceration incurred by the states setting mandatory sentences. What happened was, if you go back and look, the Black Caucus supported the bill. So, folks, we don't need any more mandatory sentences, period. Okay, what's hilarious about that, that we don't need any mandatory sentences, is that very often mandatory sentences were better for a lot of the people convicted because they evened the playing field. The problem is without mandatory minimums or without mandatory maximums, what you end up with is judges basically deciding. So if you want to remove bias from the system, mandatory minimums are actually an even, a more even way of doing all of this. But again, the real problem for Joe Biden here is who is he? Is he quote unquote moderate Joe from the past or is he progressive Joe for the future? This is why Joe Biden is trying to bridge that gap with simple Trump hatred. He's trying to paste over this particular gap. He's trying to spackle over that, that gap in the wall by talking about how Trump is an illegitimate president. He was confronted yesterday by a woman who, who started talking about how Trump was, was installed by the Russians and Joe Biden did something truly terrible. Here he is. He's illegitimate. And my biggest fear is that he's going to do it again with the help of Vlad, his best pal, and we're going to be stuck for six more years of this guy. And that is terrifying. It's terrifying. Would you be my vice presidential candidate? <laughs> Folks, look, you're absolutely right. And now they have an investigation of the investigators who are investigating whether or not Vladimir Putin and the Russians engaged in trying to affect our life. Give me a break, gosh almighty. Okay, that is an astonishing statement by Joe Biden. It's so funny. Joe Biden said that he used to be, you know, he's very close with John McCain and they were good buddies and they used to hang out. I'm old enough to remember that in 2008, John McCain was at a rally and somebody got up at the rally and said that Barack Obama was a Muslim. And John McCain shut him down. He said, no, Barack Obama is not a Muslim and you have no evidence that he is a Muslim and you shouldn't try to hit him with charges that are untrue. And the media gave him virtually no credit at the time. They, they suggested that John McCain was still a crazy old codger. And then they backed Barack Obama, despite the fact that John McCain did that. Only later did they come around and say, what a decent man that John McCain was. Remember that John McCain who stood up to his own party when somebody said that? Well, what that lady said there is flatly untrue. Donald Trump did not win because the Russians were working with Donald Trump to put him in the White House. He is not an illegitimate president. And yet you're not hearing Joe Biden shut it down. It's one of my pet peeves with a lot of folks on the left. When it comes to the, 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 the placing of standards, they're all too eager to insist that Republicans place standards. And then when it's their turn to actually uphold the standard against their own supporters, they won't do it. They are nowhere to be found. They run for the hills. I've mentioned before that there's this tendency on the left to suggest that they want to play by the Marcus of Queensberry rules. And then when, when it comes down to it, those rules go completely out the window. You can see that during the last election cycle when it was Donald Trump is an evil, evil, evil man for using WikiLeaks material while Hillary Clinton was actively soliciting material from Ukraine to use against Paul Manafort and Donald Trump. That was reported by Politico. Virtually no big media coverage. There was none in 2016. And the media coverage even in 2017 when this came out was incredibly muted. There's, there's a reason that Republicans finally got tired and said, listen, Donald Trump doesn't play by the rules because you guys don't play by the rules. There is, there's a great temptation in politics to abandon the rules if you feel that your opponent is not playing by them. And Democrats have repeatedly refused to play by the rules. It's, it's, it's one, this is, in fact, how you got Trump. This is, in fact, how you got Trump. You get John McCain, who calls out a lie about his political opponent during a presidential race and is castigated as a racist, sexist, bigot, homophobe anyway. And then you have Joe Biden, who refuses to stand up to a random crowd member who says that Donald Trump is an illegitimate president. And it's not just Joe Biden. You got Beto O'Rourke praising Stacey Abrams for refusing to accept the results of elections. So Beto, trying to pander to his base. 
Wouldn't it be better if Beto said, listen, Stacey Abrams is a great candidate and she lost her race. Instead, he's on The View yesterday and he says, no, Stacey Abrams, she's brilliant. She accepted her, her election with grace. What in the world is he talking about? She has spent the last several months on the campaign trail proclaiming that she was jobbed out of the governorship of Georgia, even though she lost by 55,000 votes and there is no math by which she won. Here is Beto O'Rourke actively working to undermine faith in electoral institutions about five minutes after Democrats said that Trump was going to do it and it was going to be super bad. Stacey Abrams, who is a real hero to me, the grace with which she met that defeat on an unfair, unlevel playing field with the Secretary of State, uh, perhaps rigging in in part uh, that election, her focus on democracy reform, a new Voting Rights Act, uh, ensuring that every single vote counts in this country is inspiring stuff at a time that our democracy is so badly broken. Okay, this is just like, what in the world? Like, what, that, that none of that, not a word of that is true. I mean, I understand that, that Beto is desperately trying to get back in this race. Eventually, he'd like to be able to, to buy more than one shirt, I think. But, he is, but, but that's crazy talk. When, when, when are the Democrats ever going to have a sister soldier moment? The sister soldier moment was named after a Democrat. Bill Clinton was talking about a woman named Sister Soldier who had said something racially charged, and he came back at her and said that is not true. Democrats haven't had one of those in a very, very long time. Instead, they have allowed capture of their own base by radicals. Now, the, another example, Democrats have been claiming that Donald Trump is inciting violence against the press, that what he does is he attacks members of the press in order to delegitimize the press. And this is a threat to the First Amendment. This is a threat to our institutions. Jim Acosta is writing a whole book about it, guys. He's reading his audiobook in an air-conditioned studio about the great threat to the American press from Donald Trump at the same time that Venezuela is throwing CNN reporters out of the country. Well, now Elizabeth Warren is tweeting out about how Fox News is not really media, how they are a quote-unquote hate-for-profit racket that gives a megaphone to racists and conspiracists. It's designed to turn us against each other, risking life and death consequences, to provide cover for the corruption that's rotting our government and hollowing out our middle class. In other words, you might say, according to Elizabeth Warren, that Fox News is fake news. That's what you might say if you were Elizabeth Warren. She says hate-for-profit only works if there's profit, So Fox News balances a mix of bigotry, racism, and outright lies with enough legit journalism to make the claim to advertisers that it's a reputable news outlet. It's all about dragging in ad money, big ad money. So in other words, they are a corrupt, evil organization that effectively ought to be shut down is what Elizabeth Warren is contending. And then she posted this video with pictures of of Sean Hannity and Tucker Carlson. It's actually just a, a gif of Sean Hannity, Tucker Carlson, Laura Ingram, Judge Jeanine. In, in red in the background, and it says, stop the hate-for-profit Fox News racket. I mean, this is straight from the Media, Mac- Media Matters playbook. Now, does this constitute incitement? Does this constitute an attack on the press? Does this constitute an attack on the First Amendment? Now, she can say whatever she wants. I don't really care. I don't care that President Trump has attacked what he believes to be members of the press who are unfair. I care when he mislabels them such. I care when he mislabels them such, and I care when Elizabeth Warren says that Fox News is a hate-for-profit racket and that people like Brett Baer are apparently just being used as floozies by the Fox News brand in order to legitimize the brand. I mean, on a business level, this isn't even true. It's not true. The fact is that advertisers want to advertise on all the shows Elizabeth Warren hates because they get good ratings. Fox News, Brett Baer doesn't exist. To, to, to rip on Brett Baer or Dana Perino or Martha McCallum or Shannon Bream by suggesting that they are just fronts for Sean, like they're not independent human beings, is pretty perverse. But Elizabeth Warren does it all the time. The, the 2020 Democrats are, are 
demonstrating full scale that all of the rules they say that Donald Trump broke, they've been, they've been saying that Donald Trump broke American politics. This proves my statement. Donald Trump did not break American politics. American politics was broken long before Donald Trump. Trump is a symptom of that broken politics. He's a response to that broken politics. He is not in and of himself the breaking force. That doesn't mean he's made our broken politics better. It does mean that if you're blaming Donald Trump for divisions in America, you have a memory span of a flea. And you're blinding yourself actively to the Democratic Party right now and how they are doing all the things they accuse President Trump of doing in a, in a, uh, on a regular basis. All righty. So let's do some things I like and then let's do some things that I hate. So things that I like today. So yesterday I did John Wick 1. Now I'm going to get to the John Wick movie that is better. I know this is a controversial opinion. John Wick 2 is, is better. It is more amusing. Uh, it is more interesting. It's more comic booky. Basically, John Wick 1 is a, a, a straightforward revenge drama in which about half, half an hour in, it turns from a straightforward revenge drama into sort of comic booky stuff when he gets to the Continental Hotel and the Continental Hotel is this hotel for assassins. All that is the most fun part of John Wick. John Wick 2 is entirely that. So the entire thing is the Continental Hotel and assassins trying to kill other assassins. And it's just great. Here's a little bit of the trailer. Welcome to Rome. Is this a formal event or a social affair? Social. How many buttons? Two. And what style? Tactical. Mr. Wick, do enjoy your party. It's just great. <laughs> so. I'm, I'm on a John Wick binge right now because, of course, John Wick 3 comes out this weekend, which is the only thing that truly matters. I'm, I'm, I've gotten my wife into the John Wick movies now, and she is... One thing I love about my wife, when, when you're married for, for a while, we're, we're married uh, 11 years in July. When you're married for a while, one of the most fun things about your spouse is when they randomly surprise you. And my wife is the kind of person who likes to watch chick flicks, like real chick flicks. She's the kind of person who doesn't really like violence in movies or anything. She really likes the John Wick movies, and it's really charming. Like, the fact that she thinks that these are really fun and hilarious is pretty great. And the truth is, she, she likes real life. Like, she, she loves Die Hard, which is hysterical. A lot of the folks in the office have met my wife, so they know how funny this is. Like, my wife is, is, unlike me, one of the nicest people on planet Earth. And so the fact that she loves John Wick is just great. There's a dark side of my wife that I really enjoy. All right, time for a couple of things that I hate. Alrighty, so one of the one of the stupidest things in American politics that happened over the last couple of years is there was a restaurant called the Red Hen in Lexington, Virginia. And that restaurant threw Sarah Huckabee Sanders out. So Sarah Huckabee Sanders, the press secretary for the president of the United States, sat down for a meal and they said, you are not welcome here. Now, I have long been an advocate. If you do not want to have somebody at your restaurant, you should not be forced to have somebody at your restaurant. I think it's an idiotic aspect of the Civil Rights Act that private establishments are told what they can and cannot do. Jim Crow laws were designed to tell private establishments what they could or could not do. People tend to forget. It wasn't an informal regime alone of Jim Crow in the South. It was a very formal regime that prevented restaurants from, for example, having desegregated seating in places like Mississippi and Alabama. And if you violated that, then the government would fine you. They would come in and they would harm you. The Civil Rights Act did a lot of wonderful things. One of the things I think that was not so wonderful is it conflated public with private and suggested that the federal government has the authority to tell private business owners how to conduct their business if they were quote-unquote public accommodations. Now we are seeing the public accommodations rules expanded out to include virtually every area of human activity so that the government can regulate it. That's what we're seeing in the so-called Equality Act being pushed by Democrats. 
well, I think you should be able to have whoever you want not eat at your restaurants or eat at your restaurants. And that includes people I disagree with, like Stephanie Wilkinson. So Stephanie Wilkinson did something that I disagree with and I think is quite horrible. She said that, that, that Sarah Huckabee Sanders cannot eat at her restaurant. I think that's wrong. If I owned a restaurant, I would certainly allow Democrats to eat at my restaurant. I would certainly allow Jay Carney or Robert Gibbs to come in and have a meal. I wouldn't have any problem with that. And I find it silly that anybody would have a problem with that. Just the same as I would find it silly if a gay couple came into my restaurant and sat down to eat. I wouldn't be like, get out. Now, as a religious person, it's a different thing if you are asking me to participate in a same-sex wedding. But you just want to come in and eat just like anybody else would want to come in and eat. I have no problem with that. But Stephanie Wilkinson is being praised by the Washington Post for a decision that if she had made it against either a Democrat or against a person of any other group would be considered insane. Instead, they run this puff piece by Stephanie Wilkinson called I Own the Red Hen Restaurant that asked Sarah Sanders to leave. Resistance isn't futile. So in other words, everybody should do this. We should divide the country along political lines by pursuing all of this. Now, as I say, I think she has the right to do this. I think that she should do it if she wants to. And I think other people should stop eating at the Red Hen. And if people want to support the Red Hen because of this, they could do that too. It's a free country. That is fine with me. But the fact that the Washington Post is printing this piece and the fact that the Washington Post has taken repeatedly the editorial position that if you are Jack Phillips and you own a cake shop and you don't want to cater a same-sex wedding, that you are an emissary of evil and intolerance in the United States is wildly inconsistent and demonstrates once again that when it comes to the left, the double standard is simple. If it is good for the left, they are for it. If it is bad for the left, they are against it. There is no other standard. There is no objective standard of law that applies equally to everyone. There is no objective standard of morality that applies equally to everyone if you are on the hard left or apparently on the editorial board over at the Washington Post. Okay, we'll be back here a little bit later today with two additional hours of content, or we'll see you here tomorrow. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Senior producer, Jonathan Hay. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. And our technical producer is Austin Stevens. Edited by Adam Saievitz. Audio is mixed by Mike Caromina. Hair and makeup is by Jesua Olvera. Production assistant, Nick Sheehan. The Ben Shapiro Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2019. The state of Alabama passes the most restrictive abortion law in the country. We examine the legal and political ramifications and ask the question on everybody's mind. Will we live to see the overturning of Roe v. Wade. Check it out on The Michael Knowles Show. We'll get to more on this in just one second. First, Pure Talk believes in American values and that free should mean, you know, like free. So when you switch to Pure Talk today, you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last with a rugged screen, quick charging battery, and top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. Pure Talk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family saves almost $1,000 a year. So I challenge you to choose a company that actually doesn't hate your guts and shares your values. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone and start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com Shapiro to switch to my cell phone company. I've been using them for years. They're fantastic. You'll love them as well. Go to puretalk.com Shapiro and claim your eligibility on that free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving. <laughs> 